0: Just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to the Earth Keepers Podcast this season, we're taking a journey through one branch of my own family tree to explore what happens when a group of people leave the only land they've ever known for the promise of salvation and eternal life in heaven. In last week's episode, I shared how my grandmother was excommunicated from the Mormon church and chatted all about Mormon temple oaths with ex-Mormon turned shamanic healer Katrina Whitney. If you missed that episode, I highly suggest you go back and listen to that one first as each of these episodes builds on the one before. Today, we'll be diving into my own past with the church, and it wasn't in this lifetime. I'll also be sharing about my work with the Earth's Grids in Utah the past three years and how that's connected to the church. And while yes, this is my personal family story, I have no doubt that you'll find threads that feel similar to your own stories no matter where in the world they originated or what religion they were affiliated with. I hope to go down in and through, rather than around, what is difficult in our collective inherited pasts and bring those stories to light in a way that just might change not only the past, but also the future. And I hope it just might inspire you to go on a journey of your own ancestral healing. If you do feel inspired to go deeper and want to support the work it takes to bring this podcast to life, I'd love to have you join me in the Earth Tenders Academy. The Earth Tenders Academy is my online course and community where you can learn more about the history and energy of the community you live in, hold space for the healing of humanity and nature, remember more about your specific gifts and the role with the earth, and see the true magic held in your everyday environment. I invite you to step into this portal with me and hundreds of other earth tenders from around the world. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about the earth tenders Academy and join us in this beautiful community.
1: Now they're bringing me forth completely into your family timeline, and this is where it gets interesting. So we want to go back to the life and they're showing me a specific life. Yes, you were there. And it what the picture I got, I see you being uh, a male, but I'll tell you more about your incarnation there Because, and I see you with what you, we know to be like the, um, oh my gosh, what are they called this? Oh, <laughs> um, suspenders. Yes. And you almost looked a little bit Amish, um, in your in your look. And you were about 13. That's what I'm seeing.
0: Yep, I knew it. And psychic Carrie Koss confirmed it here in my past life reading with her. I don't just have Mormon ancestors, I have a past life in the Mormon church, and not with some other family, with my family. So I suppose that makes me my own ancestor. It's enough to make your head spin, right? But let's get back to the reading.
1: And you floated in and out just a little bit like this. So there was a lot of that, um, that resided within you. Um, and going back to, um, a couple of things that they told me a little bit about because they were giving me these really heavy themes. Um, here we go. Okay. Toxic masculinity control polarization. And you were a young male, but very non-binary and you were trapped in this Mormon grid. So um, this is where I feel like there's, I see issues in your legs and your lower body. Um, And then also they are showing me, I'm looking at the actual land, even where you lived on. I know we at, there was a question about Salt Lake City and snakes. And there's just definitely something coming in about that. But I feel like almost like the land was absorbed. At least there's a layer they are showing me. I want to say it doesn't go all the way down to its core at all in this area, but it's probably at least 10 feet, maybe eight to 10 feet. And it's absorption of this. uh, programming, um, the uh, toxicity, just in general, the platforms that came from all of these people and the agreements that were made just kind of got absorbed into the land. The other thing that, so going further back, so they're all showing me the reason your ancestors came into this in the first place was really because they wanted this community. They wanted family. They wanted support. They wanted to live in this divine union, which they thought was kind of like heaven on earth. It was very idealistic, obviously. And it's also like, oh, coming to America. And then we have this experience where we meet these wonderful people and we raise our children together and we live off the land. And they really found that that was not the case, obviously, that actually they felt like, The um, Mormons were more disconnected from the land than especially the indigenous people around them, but um, even just normal everyday farmers, they felt that, you know, and the people that they felt like, wow, we're this sect trying to control everything, manipulate everything. And we feel entrenched in this dogma. And the, it wasn't just you that felt that way. It was the whole family felt that way. And there's a real push-pull. And I, and I also feel like your parents were very worried about you. And like anyone would be today about their child that didn't fit into a mold. And especially with the this uh, religious sect. So there was, there was so much to do with that. So they were really showing me feet, hips, legs.
0: Um, well, and yes. and on that note about yes. Yes. kind of how the parents felt or whatnot, I had this very, very strong sense um or you know, kind of vision when I was on one of the trips when I went to Utah and I was at the cemetery um in outside of Ogden and standing there and looking back at the mountains and was really kind of shown like they came this, they made this journey with this belief and with this, you know, understanding of what it was going to be like. And when they got there, they realized it wasn't as promised. It wasn't as sold. And there was just nothing to do about it. Right. Like you had traveled in whatever 1870 and all everything that (laughs) was required to get yourself to Utah. And you would have been surrounded by everyone else in the faith. Like that would have been your community. That would have been the only people you knew, probably the only people that spoke the language. And you had no choice, but to just get on board and get with the program. And that was really what was, what my sense was of, you know, I don't know about everybody, but at least there was at least one kind of group of ancestors that were showing that to me. That is exactly what I
1: saw. Exactly. And I mean, so here's the beautiful part about your parents were very supportive of you as a soul. That's what I felt. It wasn't as though, you know, they were trying to, uh, Uh, get you to change. If anything, they're trying to protect you. It's almost like, you know, they circled around you for protection. Um, and, and I'm, I want to go down, down the lineage and see what happened to see what, if there's trauma points, things like that, for sure. Um, but it's so funny right now I'm hearing the word like heresy, like heresy that that's what they're hearing from the church. So I'll, I'll look at that, see what that's about. Um, but let's go back to the land itself being literally, um, abs- it absorbed this uh, this information, this negative information, this dogma, this practice, and also there was there were so many people in pain emotionally and spiritually from this disconnect, and also so all that trauma just got absorbed into the land. So when I asked, because you had an amazing question, and I would love you to ask and talk to us about this, but you, you were saying you had in your journey, you were having a, um, visions of snakes underneath Salt Lake City. I want to hear about that. And then I want to tell
0: you what I saw. Yes, the snakes. Where do I begin? I honestly wasn't sure I'd ever share this vision publicly because it was so disturbing to me when I first experienced it. But before we talk about it, I need to explain more about the grid work I've been doing in Utah these past few years, because it's all related. Now, when I talk about grids, I'm talking about the geomagnetic lines held within the earth. Alfred Watkins coined the term ley lines in England when he first rediscovered the ancient network of tracks that crisscross the landscape, connecting ancient monuments, sacred sites, and megaliths. These geodesic power lines are the life force of the earth, a magnetic circuit that our human bodies automatically align with, or rather plug into for healing, or to more easily commune with energies on the other side of the veil. Many generations before us were attuned to these energies and knew them well. Certain annual celebrations or celestial alignments were honored at these sacred sites, and people would follow the well-trodden paths along the energetic grids to return year after year. An early kind of pilgrimage that the land certainly remembers, even if us modern humans do not. Sadly, not only was this wisdom not handed down to us, but our culture has devised all kinds of modern conveniences like rubber-soled shoes and latex mattresses and energy-efficient homes that all ensure the separation of our bodies from these healing energies, making them even more difficult for us to feel. I asked spiritual geographer Peter Champeau to elaborate a bit about these grids in the earth.
2: There's a number of different line systems. Uh, There's the Hartman-Curry grid, which is a planetary grid system that is a uh, 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 regular five meter by eight meter uh, lines, and and every uh, every thirty feet there's a there's what's called a banker line, which is a very strong line of of, of that nature. And this is like an electromagnetic feature that's everywhere. And uh, if you if you live on on crossings of these lines. uh, You know, leukemia and such, uh, and ill health tends to uh, come about because there's such a strong amount of electricity or bed or something. If there's a if there's a uh, a banker line that's crossing there, that's part of that Hartman Curry grid. You can look these up on the internet. Hartman Curry, H A R T C U R R Y. Uh, They you know they they promote ill health so you got to watch out and those babies. Uh, ley lines are uh, the, the themselves are more kind of an elemental path and they uh, they, they carry current and, and the of, of the earth at at, a, at an angle that's uh, you know northeast or southeast you know it's across uh you know, and, and then telluric lines which are the Earth's electromagnetic field are, are longitudinal, and and that's part of the the uh, electromagnetic field of the planet. Uh, you know we have that electromagnetic field ourselves, uh, and 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 this electromagnetic field protects us from solar solar radiation. It deflects these this plasma that's coming in from the sun radiation, but. Uh, Yeah, that travels in a north-south line, and that's called a tuluric.
0: It's pretty incredible how many patterns you start seeing between the earth and early religion when you look. But let's get back to the snakes. There's no better example of snake mythology than the goddess Medusa, as explained in a 2007 article by Hilary Pipetti that I'll link in the show notes. If you trace Medusa's origins back to the Stone Age, before she was reinvented in Greek myth, She was always depicted as the serpent goddess-priestess. The name Medusa means sovereign female wisdom, a symbol in the feminine mysteries like the past, present, and future, and life, death, and rebirth, which is where the snake symbol originated. The Ouroboros, a snake with its tail in its mouth, also represents these cycles, In the 7th century BC, many parts of the world were shifting from a matrilineal society, where the world and everything in it is born of a sacred mother deity, to a patriarchal society, where our source was Father God. And we see this reflected in Medusa, as she is suddenly beheaded in the myths, symbolizing the ultimate silencing of female wisdom and expression. Her life-giving, death-wielding powers and wild forces of nature are controlled, tamed, and mastered by the male order. The cycles of life and nature are made to conform to his linear perspective. The masculine myth-telling then focused instead on snake and dragon-slaying. So what does this all have to do with the Earth's grids? And specifically, Utah. Utah. Well, the authors of the book, The Dance of the Dragon, an odyssey into earth energies and ancient religion, doused the most famous grid line in the UK and found that it has three components, the geographical alignment itself, plus two energy lines, which weave around the alignment, crossing it at various points in a very specific pattern. This pattern can be represented by a symbol, which cuts across time and cultures. The image of a serpent, or rather two serpents, coiled around a straight rod. You might recognize this as the symbol used to signify doctors or medicine, but this symbol goes back thousands of years and looks incredibly similar to the serpents depicted around Medusa's waist. And it also symbolizes the healing power of the earth as focus through lay or grid lines. But this symbol has been stolen from the land and from the feminine, which is what I was shown in my vision, bit by bit by one religion or another, but largely in our own minds by Christianity, who depicted the evil snake in the Garden of Eden as the devil. Now, I didn't know all this when I had this snake vision. I mean, I knew that snakes or dragons were often used to depict or represent gridlines in certain cultures, but that's about it. So I was a bit confused and disturbed by the images I was shown during a journey with the fungi earlier this year, when I was shown an image of a map of the Western United States that then zoomed in on Utah and specifically Salt Lake City. I was taken underground where there was this network of tunnels with a series of enclosed rooms. The energy there did not feel good. And it was like I was witnessing or watching from a distance as a woman walked through these tunnels carrying a small child. I wasn't shown any specifics of what happened in these rooms, but it felt to me like it was related to some kind of ritualized abuse. The woman was incredibly conflicted about the whole situation because she had to hand her child over to men in these tunnels, which she didn't want to do. But she also very much believed in the religion and was told this is what she had to do. Then the vision shifted and i was suddenly trying to rescue the child and climb up and out of the earth from my vantage point as i was struggling to get away i had a view of the wasatch mountain range and a knowing that the spot i needed to reach was the this is the place monument now as a side note as many times as i've been to utah i haven't been to this monument It's a large granite structure built in the 1940s to honor the Mormon pioneers, and specifically Brigham Young, the second prophet of the church after Joseph Smith's death, who leads the saints out of what was then America to the territory of Utah. When seeing the valley for the first time, Young said, this is the right place, drive on. It's just a stone's throw from what would become downtown Salt Lake City, where the main Mormon temple is located and is certainly within the serpentine energy field of the massive north-south gridline that runs through Utah, the ones my guides call the Corridor of Light. Meanwhile, back in the underground tunnels, I was surrounded by snakes in every direction. They weren't trying to attack me or do anything, really. They were just there. And As I made my way up out of the earth and towards the monument, I knew there was an important cord that would be cut or some contract broken when I got there. As I made my way across the landscape of Utah, my view suddenly started zooming out. I was back to looking at the map, this time of the entire United States, and then all of North and South America, and then of the entire planet. It was covered in a tightly woven grid of snakes. Snakes linked head to tail with each other and wound together in an unbreakable network. And in locations all over the planet, I could see all the religions of the world tapped into the snake network, feeding their energy into it, and then the snake sharing those messages and frequencies with the people. As I stood outside of the earth, like an observer of this system, it was shared with me that the snakes belong to the earth and also to women. They're the feminine. Mother Earth, women, and snakes. But that delicate balance between masculine and feminine was long ago disrupted and destroyed. Perhaps when Medusa's head was lopped off, leaving her unable to share her wisdom. Back in my journey, I started trying to dismantle the snake grid. Unwind them, pull them apart. Wouldn't this be the only way we could heal from our collective trauma? But try as I might, there was no undoing it. I called out to others to come help me with this dismantling, and many came to assist. But even all of us together were no match for the powerful energy in this grid of the world's religions. I finally sat exhausted and dejected that nothing could be done. The magic holding this grid together was too old, too powerful, too ingrained. But then it suddenly occurred to me to ask, is there a way to dismantle the grid? and the simple answer came immediately. Love. I mean, of course, isn't love always the answer? But in this case, the answer wasn't to dismantle the grid. It was to pour love into the grid, flood it with a high-frequency vibration that can override all the pain and trauma. And when I did that, I could see that the grid didn't need to be dismantled. The grid isn't somehow a different grid than the ones I'm working with all the time. It is the earth grid, but it sure had been manipulated and asked to bend to the will of the people over and over again and was a bit battered and bruised. That's what I've been finding in property readings again and again, but especially in the readings I've done in Utah. I've been shown how the grids, particularly in this area, have been tied to the church. The temples have been strategically built on the grid lines and their energies linked to the grids. In some places, the grids have been moved or blocked or their energy siphoned off for the church. And I had been repeatedly asked to help repair or heal those issues. So many times, in fact, that I was starting to believe that maybe I was someone who had done much of this damage in my past Mormon life. Maybe this was my karma to fix. So I asked Carrie about it.
1: Okay, so first of all, Energetically, in no way do I see your your um, psychic footprint, your spiritual footprint of ever causing any destruction, if anything, you were shut down and repressed because you couldn't do the work that you saw the destruction that was being done. and so you just vowed, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna do this energetic work because I and I love this land. And um, and this was like one of my soul's intention was to live in harmony with the land. That was my whole vibration, was that I, I would have this space that would be mine, um, not mine, but that where I could really celebrate the land and live in and link and arm in arm with the land. And so that was a big part of it as far as what, you know, they showed me, I will say that was very big. Um, So, okay. I love that. So again, the Salt Lake city, let's go back to that. There's the Full of snakes. That's really just like the heart of corruption of the separation, masculine, and feminine, the toxicity, the programming, and also the lower chakras just being where they should be activated and connected and flowing with the earth and with Gaia and, and Divine Mother. They are separated, apart and just fettered. And hence why a lot of people have the lower legs and uh, the first chakra, hips, joints. Um, there is basically because the energy couldn't flow correctly, it is, um, the, there is, I'm trying to, the, the, the picture I'm getting is sort of like, everything's clenched and everything's tight. And as almost like the tissue is tight. Um, one thing they're telling me for you personally, that will really help is to reclaim, um, through your physical body, your connection, of course, to Mother Earth and, and that land, but that you're now relieving yourself of the burden of having to hold this frequency because y- you're already doing the work, right? So it's like you came in with, okay, I'm going to work on this. And this, this is, I'm carrying this burden, but now you can release it. Now you can let it go because it's not yours to carry anymore. You have done, you are doing all the work. And so you don't need to be reminded, right? So that was that served as kind of like a mark of reminding you to stay conscious. But obviously, you got the memo a very long time ago. And so you don't need that sort of re- physical remembrance, if that makes sense, because I almost see you being surrounded. You know how in Snow White, she would have all of the birds and, you know, the magical forest animals and all the pixies, everyone's around her and helping her. And so that's what I see with you. It's more like release that burden. You know, you don't need to carry that any longer because you have, you have done your due diligence and you're doing the, we're staying conscious. You're doing the work. You're helping heal this. Um, as are many others who are connected to this faith it's crumbling right we all we see that now obviously right it's crumbling so you can release it and know that you are holding the land fast i see that all that land just literally has flipped now to the higher frequency it's not you've done it it's accelerated it's part of the you know a reigniting of, uh, you know, what it was meant and designed to be when those templates were shown to
0: Joseph Campbell, Joseph Campbell, <laughs> would have been nice if it was Joseph Campbell. Different mystic. <laughs> That's right. Another mystic. So as it turned out, I'm not fixing my past mistakes in this lifetime. I'm mostly honoring a vow of my own to come back and care for this land in the way I thought it should be in that lifetime, when I could see what was happening, but had little ability to do much about it. But how did this all happen? How did the saints end up in Utah anyway? And what about these visions that Joseph Smith had as a teenager? Were those truly visions from source? Or was it all just a bunch of tall tales he told to entertain his friends and family that went a bit further than anticipated? I was dying to know.
1: And so we see, first of all, that Joseph Smith is part of the Pleiadian heritage, that he actually came down and had this agreement to be able to bring this message forth, which was really divine in, in its initial aspirations. It really was meant to be a fifth dimensional reality brought through as a frequency for people to live in harmony and communion and to support each other. But unfortunately it was infiltrated by bastardization of the information. This is what they're telling me that word, I'll just go with that. And also it was um, hijacked and cultivated into something much more destructive than it was meant and intended to be. And this was simply because of, um, we like to call it the lower frequencies of the physical body. And put a lot of, there's many themes here, which we will share with you throughout. So as he received this vision, as is known as when he connected and got this vision as a teen, where he received these initial images and so-called templates, they were actually, as you well are aware, they were more in a frequency of the fifth dimension. So they weren't actually 3D physical, they were imagery and and seen as being something that he uh, saw when he was in the astral realm. So he sees the vision, he gets the information, he receives it into his body, he has the vision. He went to spread it out. And this is where we then get destructive with what occurred. So he moved forward with this. And as the vision began to roll through, the polarizations started taking hold. The primary issue here is tearing apart masculine and feminine and, and, um, acting as if and behaving as if the land was such that was meant to be controlled, pulled apart, dominated, feared in the belief that this was part of the Ascension process. This was the underlying cultivation of this religion and this new thought movement. And so like many other cults and many other um, uh Religions that have polluted this earth plane with essentially a concept and idea, Joseph Smith took this and the lower energies then made it occur. So it it got stymied in the third chakra. So what we were seeing is this fluting to siphoning down. And the vision uh, was slightly in the heart chakra to that point, but even then it got taken over by the lower frequencies. So then we move forward to location. This is the next thing they're showing, which is more of importance is of course, we know many things that happened to Joseph, to Joseph Smith, that he was, um, his vision was taken over then by the other members of the church. And so everything got polarized and controlled and Slanted as many religions do. And especially when it came to the divine feminine. So, as we know, Mother Earth is representative of the divine feminine, as well as women reflect that in the 3D world, but also their control of people's relationships, how relationships should play out. What roles women served, what roles men served, everything became infiltrated into the culture, as I said, of the polarization of masculine and feminine that is all about control and domination. And in the name of God, you know, that's the that's the information that just keeps coming through and through and through. Is that it was they took this concept, which was meant to be a like a holy realm that they wanted to create on the earth plane and everything ran through their, the lower chakras where there was corruption, perversion, and all these programs that made everything completely go astray. But also as we can still see when we have these, um, controlling bodies of, you know, either politics or religious groups or what have you, that there are, um, they, they do things, as we said, in the name of this church, this identity, this God, and they, they try to control a mass and then take away people's own um, connection to spirit and wisdom from them based on all this. So the, the, I just kept seeing it in, in the symbolism for you, what they're showing me in this, in this moment, in this picture really has to do with corruption and polarization of masculine and feminine and control, and um, divide and conquer. This There's a big thing about division, and we already know that that's essentially, right, the 3D realm, and that's the way they try to get you is by
0: separating everybody. Well, one thing about Joseph Smith, uh, I'm just just out of my own curiosity, how much, or, or when we say that, like, the information was corrupted, right? Like, he has this divine download, but yep. there's interference. Do you get the sense that it's like outside interference with other energies and entities or like he got power hungry and realized that he can control people and went off script? So here's what happened. I see him very trapped in his
1: second chakra. He was actually very into sensuality and sexuality. And so, and then what happened is those beings who are all around the earth plane, as we know, that feed off of this energy kept pushing, right? So they kept pushing, especially the polygamy agenda. And the this is how it's supposed to be, but this is what you said. And it's like the second chakra took off running, but it was fueled by these beings that were pushing him. He made the actual, he was the one who did it all. It was definitely his own power hungry sort of life incarnation. That was what he was putting forth. So it really was from him um, and his collective, um, but he had—I would call them more minions—that kind of fed that ego purpose. So instead of being clear and being in the upper chakras and moving everything through and and, and then journeying through the the body, he got stuck in that second chakra, and the the and rationalize everything and then backed it up by you know these other egoic men, women that weren't standing in their power and these beings and frequencies that were feeding off of that, you know, split. So that's kind of more what I see. It's like those little like beings on your shoulder that are really that they love feeding off drama and would love to see a disconnection. It's more about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it feels to me like when he had subsequent revelations, right? Mm -hmm. Like that were, and that's where the polygamy came in and some of those other things that like, like he was talking to a whole other group of beings, right? He totally was. Yes,
1: he was. Yeah. He was off script. He, He did not vision. And the thing about it, right? So it's kind of like, that's what happens, unfortunately, to a lot of these cult leaders, right? They get a vision and then the corruption happens when they don't do the work on themselves they don't deal with their shadow they don't really deal, stay in integrity and alignment and humility and f- so forth they run with it and they take this little bit of sparkle you know that was started off being an amazing vision of utopia and then they went running in the other direction and that's exactly what happened to him yeah i mean i can really see uh, especially further down and when brigham young got involved and uh, there was a lot of other like pretty demonic stuff just to call it what it is. Um, they're like, oh good. We love this. We call it religion, but it's actually nothing to do with the Holy spirit. You know, that's, they just love that. And so then it went off and, and I actually feel like some of those more really um, demonic beings and entities were much more
0: attached to Brigham Young. So look, let me just say that as I've been working on this season and talking to many ex-Mormons and doing a ton of research I have come across multiple people who have said some version of this, that as troublesome as Joseph Smith's behavior was, Brigham's was even worse, and that the legacy of dominating and controlling women has continued in the church for its nearly 200-year history. That the seed that was planted in the early days of the church to dominate the sacred feminine became the foundation upon which the entire religion was based. And regardless of how this religion may present itself on the outside, behind closed doors, there's a multi-generational pattern of unspeakable abuse towards women. Never mind the damage done to the sacred masculine by men who perpetuate the abuse. While I know there are many people who have had perfectly pleasant experiences with the church in their lifetime, I've also heard the personal stories of dozens of LDS women who were sexually abused by members of their immediate family or church family And not only just the general acceptance of that behavior, but the insistence by church leaders to ignore the abuse when it's reported to them, or worse, blaming the women for letting it happen. So whatever you think of Mormonism or organized religion in general, I hope we can agree that abuse in the name of God is intolerable and clearly not an example of God's love for us. There's just no place or excuse for that in our society, especially within religion. So with that being said, I'd like to go back to the grids in Utah. My guides first told me about this corridor of light in the spring of 2019, when I was trying to book a plane ticket to meet up with a friend who lived outside Las Vegas. No matter what I tried, I couldn't find an available ticket that would work with my travel schedule. So I finally tuned in to ask why not, and was told that it was important for me to drive to Nevada, that there was an important grid line that would be activated as I traveled along it. I told this story back in episode 20, Roseline's Secret Maps, and the Knights Templar in North America. If you want to hear the whole explanation, as it was on that trip that I was first called to do healing work with Mormon pioneer settlers in Utah, and first started learning about this complicated history. Only a few months later, in early July, I headed back to Utah to meet up with Katrina and my ancestors in Ogden, as I shared in the last episode. While planning for that trip, I asked for more information on this corridor of light grid in Utah and was shown an image of the entire Salt Lake City area, lit up like a beacon of light shining up into the cosmos, and was told that it had the ability to broadcast and transmit information out beyond the earth. The native tribes in the area were aware of this corridor and beacon and protected it for many generations, but the Mormons wanted access to this power spot and headed to Salt Lake City specifically to take control of it for their purposes. What purpose? Well, I have some theories, but we'll get into that in a moment. Now, although violent ousting of the indigenous tribes from their land was commonplace at this point in time, not many areas of the country were as well-organized and wide-reaching as the Mormons in Utah. Brigham Young and church leadership had the ability to more or less clear Utah of anyone who might be in opposition to their claim to this land, And this powerful portal of energy you see this happen with the mountain meadows massacre in 1857 where a secret church order called the danites murdered a wagon train of over 100 men women and children for cutting through utah without a permit to do so a recent law that had been enacted by the church to keep non-mormons out of their territory today you can more or less follow the corridor of light grid by driving interstate 15 through utah But the path the interstate follows was already a well-traveled route through the area. This would have been one of those footpaths that took the indigenous people to and from sacred sites of their own, and no doubt the Salt Lake City Energy Hotspot would have been one of them. Now, when I was first learning about this, I looked up where all the Mormon temples had been built in Utah, and was surprised to find nearly all of them located along this grid. At first, I thought that's because that's where there were already centers of population within the cities of Utah. But then I realized that pretty much every city in Utah was founded by the church, who sent groups of pioneers, or rather early missionaries, to settle these areas. Brigham Young was handpicking these locations, one after the other, and sending his army of faithful saints to colonize them. As Wallace Stegner wrote in his 1942 book, Mormon Country, Less than 2,000 saints landed in the valley in the first year, with 10 or 12,000 more to come from the temporary settlements in Iowa and Nebraska, but they were not enough, not nearly enough. Brigham's first move was to make arrangements for more. Within two years after his arrival in Zion, he had dispatched trusted men to England, France, Switzerland, Italy, Scandinavia, South and Central America, India, Australia, the Sandwich and Solomon Islands. Mormonism had been conceived on a grandiose scale. It was meant to cover and inherit the world in the great and terrible last days. At the same time that he was collecting his pools of potential manpower, Brigham was extending the boundaries of his empire, locating likely town sites. The double problem of proselytizing thousands of saints and finding places to settle them in Zion occupied most of Brigham's time from 1847 to his death in 1877. Exploring parties went out and in the wake went picked trains of colonists. Sometimes Brigham called for volunteers to settle a particular spot and got them. Sometimes he drafted a selected group of families and they threw up everything and went. Colonists were in effect on missions for the church. They could not or would not leave until officially released. At whatever personal sacrifice, they went. Brigham Young was a colonizer without equal in the history of America. In a desert that nobody wanted and that was universally considered a fit home only for coyotes and rattlesnakes, he planted in 30 years over 350 towns and created the technique and made the surveys for others. 100 of those towns were colonized in the first 10 years when transportation was fearfully difficult and expensive, when the nearest source of many essential supplies was over 1,000 miles away. Methodically, as if he were sticking pins in a map, he founded villages at all the strategic points in his empire, and by 1855, eight years after the arrival of the first pioneers, he had virtually taken possession of a territory larger than Texas. I have to be honest, I kind of snickered when I read the line about Brigham colonizing as if he were methodically sticking pins in a map. Because I think that's exactly what he was doing, and it was bigger than just controlling the flow of people, goods, and services in and out of his Mormon territory. It wasn't enough for Brigham to take the ousted saints to Utah, where they wouldn't be bothered to live out their remaining days in peace. What he really did was to claim a power spot on an important grid line, and then began building a powerful empire. Now, what's further curious about this is that as I was working on this episode of the podcast, I did a Google search that turned up a map that I hadn't seen before. The map was credited to Peter Champeau, whose website, Geometry of Place, I was already well acquainted with, but I'd somehow never tripped across this map until now. The map shows what's more or less the 42nd parallel stretching across the United States and identified as what Peter called the Empire Ley Line, for the other locations around the world on this line where major empires were built. So I'm betting that you can already guess what major U.S. city is located on this 42nd parallel. Yep, it's Salt Lake City. But that's not the only curious thing you'll find on this map. As the Empire Ley bends across America, it just so happens to align with other locations important to Mormon history. Working our way back from Salt Lake, we find Winter Quarters, where the saints spent time after their ousting from Nauvoo, Illinois, before their trek west. Nauvoo is also on this parallel, and it was the headquarters of the church for about seven years, before Joseph Smith was notoriously murdered while awaiting trial for inciting a riot for ordering the destruction of a local printing press and newspaper who had been accusing Smith of practicing polygamy, among other crimes. Now, before arriving in Nauvoo, the church was located in Kirtland, Ohio, which, you guessed it, it's also on this grid line. It was there that Smith and other church leaders founded a bank that went rather quickly bankrupt, landing Joseph in jail on charges of illegal banking and for conspiracy to murder one of his opponents. At the same time, he's also in trouble for threatening a judge and gets indicted for treason, but he escapes custody and flees to Illinois. Before Kirtland, the entire Smith family lived in Palmyra, New York, just a shade north of the 42nd parallel. This is where Joseph had his visions of the angel Moroni as a teenager, found and translated the Golden Plates into the Book of Mormon, and officially founded the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if you shift east along the 42nd parallel one more time, you'll find Sharon Vermont and a large obelisk placed at the birthplace of Joseph Smith it certainly seemed like he was living out some kind of empire-building destiny with this grid line now were the mormons driven west by religious persecution as they claim or out of necessity to stay one step ahead of the law probably a little bit of both i chatted with peter and asked him to share a bit more about the significance of this empire lay
2: yeah yeah the empire lay goes through the that's the wyoming or our Wyoming, Utah, or in Idaho, Utah border somewhere in there, and uh, yeah, the forty-second. Uh, it's a uh, Goldilocks latitude within a Goldilocks planet, and uh, so that's where you have the what, best growing uh, oh, weather. <laughs> you know, you 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 have snow, you have rain, you have you have good air, arable lands. Uh, so civilizations tend to flourish along the 42nd parallel. So we find Rome on the 42nd. we find Istanbul or it used to be Constantinople on the 42nd we find Beijing China on the 42nd um, Southern Japan, Kyoto that's the, the spiritual center of, of Japan is on the 42 and, and it appears that that uh, the, the Masons the, you know the, the, uh, the mason planners and, and surveyors, uh, laid out the country with the 42nd parallel in mind as as a way to uh, uh attenuate you know like uh, bring this that 42nd frequency into focus across across the states so the Connecticut Massachusetts border 42nd parallel uh New York state uh, Pennsylvania 42 you know it goes right across the country uh Idaho, uh, Utah, uh, Oregon, California, all in the 42nd. So that, that latitude, uh, I, I look at as, as a, in, in a, in a, in an array of, of chakras in, uh, in the planet. So, uh, the 42nd and for in the forties, that is the throat chakra of the planet. That's where a lot of the knowledge and communications and, you know, this type of uh, the writing and all that kind of mercurial stuff came, came forth, uh, uh, you know, at least with this particular civilization. But, you know, like like in the 30th parallel, I, I equate to the heart chakra because many, many of the world's great rivers empty into the, in the Nile, the, Mississippi River, all both delta right at the 30th parallel. And then the solar plexus is the 19.5, where you find a lot of volcanoes, uh, both here on Earth and on Mars. And that's where the, uh, a lot of the solar flares come out of the sun, is out of the 19.5 degree latitude of the sun. So that's solar plexus. So it has that kind of frequential, you know, latitudes are free frequencies and, and environmental zones so the 42nd zone is very much uh, you know a civilizational an empire empire energy so uh, it goes through where kosovo is and where uh, so in kosovo is where uh, a a war line comes down from you know uh, ireland england brussels uh, franco german border all through the alsace alsace lorraine and where you know World War One, World War uh, Two, and all that stuff was all down that down that line. And, and if you continue on through, you know, Kosovo in that area it was just a it, it's a, between the Moors and the and the Christians. It was a battleground for them. Uh, Count Dracula and all his business, you know, and all uh, just endless stuff happened along that 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 battle zone. Actually, uh, the uh the uh, ancient city of Troy you know, Helen of Troy and the great battle of the Spartans and uh, uh, happened happened right there on that war line too that goes through Kosovo and that intersects the 42nd parallel so it's like uh when the when Yugoslavia broke up the Serbs, uh, got got into that that serbian empire i mean there are a bunch of catholics and they went out there and executed and you know like just summarily really, you know genocide all the muslims that were in kosovo and that's that's a, a pattern that's been re- repeating there for centuries and uh it, you know so and until we we change the you know that frequency somehow through uh, you know an, an infusion of love instead of uh, you know, you know lay lines get entrained with with the with the actions that take place upon them. So, you know, th- there is a perfect example of an entrainment of warfare intersecting in an entrainment of domination. You know, the domination of empire and, and the effect of that
0: entrainment. That's the perfect word. I hadn't quite been able to lay my finger on before Peter said it. I hesitate sometimes to say that a grid line has been manipulated or purposely redirected for other purposes than its original organic frequency, because I'm never certain how much intent was behind the action. But entrainment captures what I've seen in the grids, especially in Utah, again and again. Here's what Peter had to say about that.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a chicken and egg dilemma. Uh... You know that there might be a, a, an energy that they're attracted to. The Earth itself might be what's generating these these alignments of churches. The the actual uh, builders are, are you know it's just through synchronicity through uh, through the flow of grace that that is everywhere. Uh, churches are placed along sacred alignments just to, you know, just because it, it's it's one energy that, that, that has a magnetic effect on another, it dra- it dra- it. Uh, and it draws to it, and it does that, you know, without awareness of the people who are doing it, maybe.
0: Right. No, that makes sense. It's like we're being being uh, drawn and it's drawing us at the same time and maybe neither are 100% aware that that's the intention or that that's the outcome. So perhaps each grid line in the earth holds a specific energy that attracts a certain kind of person to it. And over time, patterns start to emerge about the energies present along those alignments. In the case of the Empire Lay, there's probably a strong call to bring people together and unite them under a common cause. And natural-born leaders with a strong vision would likely be energized by this and feel compelled to bring their vision to life. In fact, the positive side of this energy is more of what we see happening in another location along the Empire Lay further west from Utah, Mount Shasta, California, a powerful interdimensional portal that's been drawing people to it for generations. But as with Rome and Salt Lake City, I think perhaps we're seeing the shadow side of this empire-building energy. That of the megalomaniac obsessed with fantasies of wealth, power, and omnipotence. Either way, that east-west empire ley line intersects in Salt Lake City with the north-south corridor of light. And let's just say Brigham Young knew exactly what he wanted to do with all that energy, power, and light emanating from the earth in that location. He wanted to harness it and use it to spread his message and gather his flock, or probably more appropriately, his army. And as each temple was built, it was tied into the energetic grid in the land, and then that energy was pulled up into the temple, and the combined frequency is broadcasted out in every direction by the angel atop every temple, angel Moroni the same angel who led teenage Joseph Smith to find the golden plates in Palmyra, New York, that were translated into the Book of Mormon. Now, if you haven't seen a Mormon temple before, they're all topped by a golden statue of an angel blowing a trumpet, a very specific symbol of a frequency being broadcast from the church. And from what I've seen in countless readings with the land in these areas is that it's been co-opted by the church to hold and help share the church's message, or as Peter suggested, entrained. I found it incredibly telling that on March 18, 2020, as the world was systematically shutting down in in an effort to slow the spread of the coronavirus, a 5.7 magnitude earthquake hit Salt Lake City. This was the first major earthquake ever to hit the city since it had been founded, and the largest one they'd had since 1992. While no injuries were reported, there was damage to buildings and infrastructure, including the Salt Lake City temple where the Angel Moroni's trumpet Fell to the ground. Perhaps the land is beginning to broadcast a new frequency. I suppose that remains to be seen. But the more I thought about the early pioneers seeking out invisible grids of energy on a vast frontier, the more curious I was about how exactly the Mormons would know what they were looking for in the Utah desert. How did Brigham know this was in fact the place? I asked Peter to share about how some of this wayfinding information had been handed down over thousands of years.
2: Well, uh the Templars' knowledge base came from their uh, interaction with the Moors, you know, who, who retained uh, knowledge the uh the knowledge of mathematics while Europe was in the middle of the dark ages where, you know, there was just you know, nothing happening. Everybody was dying and or being burned at the stake or you know, something right. like that. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and they uh, they brought that that knowledge and light with them. Uh, and a lot of the spiritual practices the, the troubadours, the Sufis, uh, you know, the, the knowledge of the ages was carried by them back into into Europe where they seeded uh, a new European culture with their uh, cathedral technology which uh, was a syncretic uh, syncretism is where one culture is laid on top of another culture on top of another culture. They, they just use the old sacred sites or like, uh, you know, for instance, the Catholic church uh, 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 t- made Mary Magdalene's feast day the same as ISIS. You know, so it's like Magdalene became ISIS. Or ISIS became Magdalene in the church. So the church did that a lot, and they, and they, uh, especially over here in the in in this country. Uh, oh no, in Ireland. I'm sorry, in Ireland they were having trouble getting the uh, Irish pagans to uh, go to the churches for their healing. You know, they would go there, you know, and do the stand, turn, kneel, and uh, sign the cross, and and so the priest didn't like that, like them. Going, you know, like they wanted to be the intermediary between them and God. There's no sovereign thing that they're trying to propagate there. So the the, the Pope, I think it was Philip, somebody, uh uh instructed the priests of Ireland to, to build the churches on the sacred sites. And when they did that, that you know, like the, that Irish culture was subsumed by the catholic church and, uh, because they took over the sacred sites it's like it, so that that was that was a knowledge that was you know used over and over again in in south america and uh and and uh, mexico where you, you find the native sacred sites put a church on it uh, so there this was like a known thing and like shark cathedral was built on a and a druid sacred grove a known sacred grove and you know this type of thing was uh and uh you know it was it was a whole technology that you know that, that you could douse out uh looking at looking at the you know there's many studies that have been done of the, of the cathedrals and it was you know all these ley lines go through it and aquastats and various other uh, earth energy patterns uh, you know whether whether, the, you know, chicken or the egg conversation, you know, you create this, this resonant uh, uh, structure built in sacred geometry, it might actually attract ley lines to it, to to run through it. Uh, but uh, it's, it would be a good practice to put the ley lines or put the churches where the ley lines are and where the sacred site is. If there's a sacred site, like a, Uh, native sacred site it 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 would already have ley lines going through it uh so it's just you just have to identify where the pagans did that usually there's there's some knowledge right you know remnant knowledge of that left uh when the next culture uh comes in and takes over things so that's uh you know navigation you know that's all that that was that's all moorish you know uh the, the the Moors had uh, cellar navigation and like uh, when they laid out Washington D.C. for instance, uh, nobody none of the surveyors here were capable of of uh, surveying by the stars, and that was the only way that, that they, they could create such an exact scale diamond like that, like like the D.C. diamond is. So they hired this uh, this Moorish fella can't remember his name. It's in my book, uh, uh, who, who came in, you know, with the stars. Uh, okay. This, you know, laid out this old DC. So similarly you could sail the oceans blue in, in the same way with that knowledge that the Templars received from the, from the Moors and uh, Henry Sinclair and uh, all those, uh, you know, the Templars of Rosalind Chapel in Scotland. You know, there's stories of them going to Nova Scotia and whatnot. And that was, you know, they're just using their, you know, that, that those navigational tools that the Moors held on to. You know, there was actually a, uh, a Perry Rees map that was, uh, you know, uh, kind of brought to the fore in the 1400s. Uh, and this map uh, showed... You know, it was during the age of exploration and, and, and this world map that they had, everywhere where the Europeans had gone with their lousy cartography, the coastlines were all distorted and not, not, not correct. And uh, uh, all the area, they had the rest of the, all the other continents on the map and the, the remaining continents were all in perfect cartographic projection. From Antarctica, South America, and, and you know, this was you know 1400s when this map was made, and and Antarctica is perfectly the coastline is perfectly depicted, and, and the coastline of Antarctica was never known about until uh, the 50s when we had ice penetrating radar that actually drew the, you know, I mean it's all covered with ice, so this map was drawn when Antarctica. W- didn't have ice on it you know so uh you know it's like oh we gotta you know that that means that there was this seafaring culture the maps of the ancient sea kings by charles hopgood uh let about this and uh you know so you know that, that that knowledge is you know just passed down passed down passed down so uh you know the atlanteans all that you know
0: do you get the sense that then the that was really the information or knowledge that was passed on to the masons that they were using to do a lot of the kind of mapping and founding of towns and areas in America?
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know they were trying to. Uh, I think they had you know goodwill. Uh, good intentions of uh, creating a civilization out of this wilderness. And they use all the Templar tools to do that. But instead of putting churches and such on the sacred sites, they'd put Masonic halls and uh, uh, civic and business structures on there, like banks and stuff to, in, to empower the banks and empower, empower themselves to, uh, you know, the, my grandfather was a Mason and, you know, there was a time when you couldn't, couldn't really do business without being a Mason. And uh, there, there's a lot of, there's some suggestion that uh, uh, Mormonism was a, 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 uh, a, a Masonic invention to uh, create a, a religion that was uh, uh, sprung out of the Americas and uh, yeah yeah,
0: I mean, uh, the, yeah
2: the, the patterns that are around yeah, go ahead
0: I would say I, I've certainly uh, done done some reading and research on on that as I've been working on this uh, this season and it's really interesting uh, you know certainly there's as many people to say it has nothing to do with um, uh, the Masons and and plenty who say that that there is, but there's there's a lot of uh, undeniable
2: similarities. And yeah, there was uh, during that, that period in the late 1800s. Uh, you know the uh, the Egyptian revival that came forth. Uh, there was, uh, yeah, that that they were really using that in a big way to uh, build up cities and, and install capitals and like, and there there's. You know George Washington. For some reason put Washington D.C. where it was, and it ends up being right on the seventy seventh parallel. You know, or latitude, longitude. Not not parallel, about that, but the uh, uh, the seventy seventh, and, and this, this major ley line, and comes down the east coast from Boston through New York City, Trenton, Philadelphia, Baltimore. Atlanta, you know, but DC's there, and it goes down to the uh, uh, the, the pyramid of the sun in Teotihuacan in Mexico City. So, so that that you know that's a, that's a, a line of civilization right there. So he placed it there at D.C. to to intersect that seventy seventh uh, longitude, and that seventy seventh longitude goes right up to the Onondaga central fire of the Iroquois Confederacy. Which our federation was based off of, so it was, it was a it was a syncretic overlay of drawing that that northern door of the Iroquois Confederacy, you know, and, and taking over uh, the power of, from from the First Nations and subsuming it into the DC matrix.
0: So it's pretty clear that this mapping technology had been around for a long, long time before the Mormon religion was founded. And when a Masonic Lodge was formed in Nauvoo, Illinois, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and a number of other high-ranking leaders of the church were all installed as members immediately. And Smith was elevated to the level of Master Mason on site by the Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of Illinois. Now, we'll get more into some of this history in next week's episode when we talk more about the Smith's family background with the occult, magic, and alchemy, as well as their interest in plant medicine. Thanks to intuitive guide and channeler Carrie Koss for her beautiful messages about my past life in the church. There was tons more we discussed that you may hear pieces of on future episodes, but you can go listen to the entire conversation over on my YouTube channel now. We get more into honeybee symbology, what the Amanita muscaria mushrooms wanted me to know, and all about an energetic group of time travelers and earth stewards my soul belongs to called the Wanderers. Now, Carrie offers intuitive readings, healing sessions, and mentoring, as well as courses to develop your psychic abilities and learn how to read the Akashic Records. I'll link to our website in the show notes, or you can go straight to her website at kerikoss.com. And my deepest gratitude to spiritual geographer, Peter Shampoo, who you'll be hearing again in next week's episode. His website, geographyofplace.com, is a treasure trove of his maps, research, and resources on the Earth's grids and how they connect culturally significant locations around the world. If you're interested in a much deeper dive on his work, I highly suggest his book, Gaia Matrix, that discusses naturally occurring landscape geometry on the North American continent. I'll also link to his website in the show notes. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And thanks for being here on the earth at this moment in time. I'll see you back here next Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the earth keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earth Keepers from around the world in the following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook. To find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.